Hola, hola. It's your girl, Erica, from America. Welcome to the Confidence Chronicles podcast. This podcast is all about helping you stand in who you are. Stop giving a fuck what people think about you. Start standing as your fully expressed self. As you are, as is, there is no filter needed. You are fucking awesome. And I am here to remind you. I'm a confidence coach and I'm a bold stand for confidence. And I cannot wait to dig into today's episode with you. What is good, fam? Welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited for you to meet today's incredible guest, Miss Miranda Joyner. Oh my gosh, this episode, this conversation, this woman, this vision, this story, her book, everything we spoke about, I know you're going to get a lot out of this. This is an incredible discussion around your brand, about around your purpose, around your why, around why you do what you do, on how to experience you know, the, the essence of someone's vision and their why and how important that is when we are talking about things like this in our business. I met gorgeous Miranda on Clubhouse, as you do. I just loved her. She gave me a beautiful experience being in her room, uh, meeting her, chatting with her, talking to her. We actually found out we have a lot of uh, com- commonalities uh, and synchronicities that we share. And her new book has just come out called A Lot Alike. And that is what it is about. We are a lot more alike than what we think. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear this. She is incredible. I got all her links in the show notes. If you want to check her out and follow her, I hope you do. I hope you get that book. And without further ado, here is Miranda Joyner. Miranda, welcome to the podcast, girl. Finally. Every time I see you, I just want to dance. Like, I just want (laughs) to... I don't know why. Listen, that is the best compliment I've ever had, okay? <laughs> Some J-Lo. Um, speaking of dance, so I met you on Clubhouse and music was what connected us because you left a you left a lifelong print on me forever with your playing Erica Badu at the end of the room. And I'm like, who is this woman? I love it. I love music. I've always loved music. It is universal and it speaks. It's a whole other language. It is. You know? Yeah, 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 and it created a vibe. And obviously, today we're going to be talking about the amazing book that you just wrote. A lot of like what every entrepreneur should know about branding and purpose. I love the color. I love the whole thing. I devoured it really quickly because it was big words, and I love that. So we're going to yes. talk about that. But even just what you did in that room, right? Even, even, and for those of you that don't know, I did heaps of podcasts on Clubhouse, that the audio drop-in app. It was like a room and you created it like a live event and you created a branding experience, which is what the work is that you do. So what made you do that? Was that something you just had and you knew or were you like, I'm going to treat this like I treat everything? Yeah. So for me, being in the clubhouse room and creating that vibe is, yes, it is exactly that. It's something that I always do. So I come from a background in radio, uh, but more so than that, uh, in reference to the clubhouse rooms and creating that space is that I've run an open mic for the last seven years of my life, every month, hosting, uh, creating energy, managing energy for three hours of an audience. And I take that seriously. And so I know what it's like to, for me, when I do events and when I've always done events, because the open mic we did was so successful. We, we averaged 80 to 100 people every time we met. 
and we were twice a month for years. And a lot of people would come to the open mic that weren't there. And most of the time people would like, people would invite their moms and their aunts. So you would have anywhere from college kids to people celebrating their 50th birthday. Even one time there was someone's grandma that stayed to like 1130, like no lie. Like it's just, <laughs> it was just such an eclectic space of people and, and just the diversity in age and gender and race. It was just, um, and what I did, and I think what would happen in that space, and most people would say, you just have to come experience it. Is I did just that. I used to create an experience. And the experience would consist of all the energy that was compiled in the room from all the people. And the beautiful thing about that was that I got used to not knowing what to expect every synergy because, and it was called synergy nights, but not knowing what to expect because ultimately I would just wait to see what type of energy the people brought. And then I would manage that energy and we would have the same, we would do the same thing. It was like Groundhog's Day every day. It was like a show. So we, the same thing would happen. The DJ would play when they get in. I would get on the mic and say the thing. The band would play. Somebody would be painting live. Then we would go through the same format, but then the open mic people would be different. The crowds would be different. So they would bring a different energy and vibe. And depending on what the crowd was on that night, I re rolled with that and we leaned into it. Sometimes the crowds, you had to work them a little bit. Sometimes they came and I could tell out the door, oh, this is going to be a wild night. Y'all are off the chain. And so for me, what I learned in that space was that events really uh, to have an amazing event that everything doesn't have to look immaculate and perfect. But when you can leave an impression on people emotionally and give them an experience that that matters more than everything else that matters more than the logistics. It matters more than the fancy colors or cakes or things you want to create and make it look all aesthetically visually pleasing. When you can give people an, an experience and impact them internally, emotionally and mentally, then they'll never forget that. Mm, and that is true for every single thing, isn't it? It's like, it's not about how it looks. It's about how you make people feel. And I know you talked about that in your book as well, and we're going to get to it. So, okay. So for people that don't know, and they're just listening, you know, tell us a little bit about the work that you do now and maybe where you came from and how you got to this point. Absolutely. So who I am now, let's start there and we can jump back to, uh, back in the future, like, um, you know, Marty McFly here, uh, <laughs> back to the future reference for those kiddos out there that might Come be on. listening. Um, <laughs> babies for real. Um, so right now I am a former radio personality turned brand strategist. And as a brand strategist, I work with entrepreneurs, creatives, and business owners, and I help them to identify purpose in the work that they do. Um, that can also be called your why, your unique brand voice. I help people to identify genuine purpose, connection to their work, and then take that message and weave it into their, their brand so that they can connect to their audience and make money. That is ultimately what it is. Brand is about how you make people feel. And so it's about identifying that connection and that feeling through purpose, because that's where it lies in the why, right? Well, Simon Sinek well, made no. it very clear. Yeah, I was going to say, for y'all listening, go find her right now as you're listening to this podcast, because we, I know my business ladies listening are like, damn, I need to find my purpose. So I'm excited to hear. Sorry, Simon Sinek. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's how I was. It took me to 37 to figure it out. So most, And so I just said, I don't want people to have to wait so long. But Simon Sinek, Start With Why, was one of the books that I read the year I quit my job uh, to take a chance on myself. And it was a defining moment for me reading his book. Um, that summer, I read three books that shifted me and his book was one of them. And it gave me the confidence to, one, do the work that I did, but it also validated so many things that I had been 
you know, so many parts of my personality that, that I had just been taking for granted my whole life and not realizing, oh, Miranda, this is a part of your purpose. You don't just do this and look for why. You don't just help people to connect like that by chance, that this is wrapped up in something you're supposed to be doing bigger than yourself. So my story kind of is derived and, um, you know, I go back and, and kind of give you the, the condensed version. Um, I grew up in a single parent home uh, raised by my mother and my grandmother. Um, my mom had me when she was 16 and my father wasn't around. And I grew up in a household with two women who worked diligently. My mom was a teacher in Jackson Public Schools for uh, 33 years. My grandmother worked at a plant for 22 years and neither one of them are entrepreneurs. So I had no example of what that looked like. Uh, but what these ladies did teach me was consistency. They taught me um, resilience. They taught me how to be strong and they taught me how to be disciplined in showing up in this world. They consistently did the work and showed up every day. And my mom taught me that uh, more than anything, just to work. She did so many things, um, going to school, finishing school, working two jobs and raising me, you know? And, um, and so I did the thing. I went to college because I thought that, you know, that's what I was just what you're supposed to do. And I always felt like I was supposed to be doing something bigger. And I spent most of my twenties uh, feeling like I was supposed to be doing something, wanting to work for myself, but scared shitless about it. Okay. Okay. And so I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I can handle it. I don't know if I could. And so I spent most of my 20s um, working for other people, helping other people to build, um, always excelling, getting in a job, excelling. Got into radio um, and, you know, by chance went to a PWI and a, 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 a predominantly white institution. You know, that's what PWI. And, and so I went to a private college. And my last semester there at this private, this PWI, I got an internship at a hip hop station. Wow. <laughs> I, I live in a I live in a city with the HBCU, a historically black college. I went to the PWI last semester. I got on a hip hop station. So how that happened? I ended up having to stay extra semester, pay extra, and I ended up being there. And I feel like that moment shifted me into um, really propelling me into radio, and then working with artists, connecting to this open mic, and ultimately I got to the space to where um, after. Uh, being in this space with so many artists and creatives and seeing so much over the years, uh, I felt like this was something that I could do on my own. I felt like I could take a chance on myself. And I helped uh, an artist build their career from the ground up. Um, and that was extremely fun for me to do. I, I did it by chance. It wasn't something I went looking to do. It was something that happened by chance. And um, what I realized during that time where I was working with her and her career was that one, I really enjoyed doing this and I was good at it. But two, I felt like I didn't feel fulfilled doing it for one person. So September 22nd, I was working at a part-time and, and mind you, I was still had a full time job, but I was working with her on the side. So it was like, oh, this is fun. So it was still under the guise of this is fun. This is like stuff I do on the side. But I was building this career. We were building this career. We were moving so much. We were doing so much. I mean, traveling from, you know, Canada to, I mean, just traveling all over, connected to Kevin Hart. She got on Comedy Central. You know, she's a comedian. So she got on Comedy Central. We end up getting her uh, on tour with Ricky Smiley. I mean, it was a lot happening quickly in four, in, in a matter of four years, by the way. Um, and, uh, and I, on September 22nd, 2018, I was working part-time at a car dealership in between jobs, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to take a chance on myself. And I quit my job 
And uh, I had income on the side a little bit, you know, so it wasn't like I just quit cold turkey, but I had a, a plan and I said, okay, if I can pour into myself as much as I'm pouring these hours I'm spending over here, I know I can make it work. And I launched my website and my business November the 16th. Uh, 2018, and I have not looked back since. Uh, I'll pause there because I could go on, but that's essentially how I got to this space uh, and and my background, where I came from, and how I derived here. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Okay, so I have questions. Okay, so I love that you were still working. I did a side hustle for five years. So I'm like, okay, just believe in yourself and quit your damn job. Same, same thing. <laughs> so when, and a lot of people, they want to go off and do this thing, but they quit their job. Then you're in real scarcity because you don't have any money. You don't have anything on the side. So how did you transition when you're like, I'm going to leave. I've got a little bit of work from that space to then becoming a brand strategist and, and, you know, getting businesses and working with businesses on this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And, and, and it makes me cringe when th- that your people are talking to you about wanting to quit their job. And, you know, I always pause because everybody's circumstance is different yes. and everybody doesn't have the same drive. Everybody doesn't have the same mindset. And at the end of the day, you have to be honest with yourself about the type of person you are, about your discipline, about what business you have, about your ability to succeed, about you, you have to be honest with yourself about so much. Now I say that I want to preference it with that, but then I also want to say that there is nothing you can't do when you put your mind to that shit. Like there's nothing you can't do. Right. But you got to be honest with yourself about who you are. So if you're somebody that's a complainer, <laughs> you get rattled easily. Yeah. Your person, you know what I mean? And so you, those things are important for you to be able to say, you have to have that drive and that consistency. You have to have the ability to say, I'm going to figure this out. Because as an entrepreneur, the biggest misconception I think about entrepreneurship for people who aren't in it or hadn't gotten in it is that um, it's, it's about the grind. It's about, you know, it's about, you know, um, I'm running myself record and I'm going to work myself and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to grind it out. But the reality about entrepreneurship is more than the grind. Uh, it's about consistency, about balance. And then it's about as an entrepreneur, it's your job to just figure stuff out. Right. And people want to fall into entrepreneurship and they want to be perfect and they want to work. And if it doesn't work, they get discouraged and they come back. But a part of entrepreneurship is a bunch of shit not working and you figuring it out. Like that's literally what entrepreneurship is. Like if you could define it, it's a whole bunch of stuff sometimes not working. And you saying, wait, I got to figure this out. What what do I do differently? How do I make this work? Yeah, it's troubleshooting and all day, every day. <laughs> it's troubleshooting and, and, and problem solving and pivoting and and scaling and paying attention and, and following trends and listening. And it takes, a, a, you know, a very um, focused and, and person that understands that to be successful at it. Right. Um, and 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 some people do it and don't understand that and they struggle. Um, and, and I get that, but at the end of the day, entrepreneurship is not about being perfect and immaculate and having this beautiful, uh, you know, cover. And then it's about understanding that behind the beautiful brand is control chaos yeah. <laughs> and constant problem solving. But the reality is, is that it's so rewarding. Yeah. Like, you know, it's so rewarding. Like, I think I've made myself unhirable. Like, I don't know that I could go back and work for anybody else at this point. A hundred percent. You can't. No way. Because you you create your world. You're such a creator. And if something's not working, and that's the beauty of it is that, you know, if you, I love that you said that because that's the reality. You have to be 
that kind of person. You have to be real and raw with yourself. Like if you will get frazzled, you know, maybe, and it's not for everyone, you know, it's really not. And I think we think it's cool to be an entrepreneur or, you know, a solopreneur or whatever. And it's not, it's, it sucks most of the time. And then, and then it's awesome. (laughs) And then you feel alone. I mean, I felt lonely for my first year. I I felt so alone my first year. I lost friends that I didn't think I would lose. I lost people that I didn't think I would lose. And I'm such a tribal friend. You know, my, I spent the first year of my entrepreneurship, uh, um, licking my wounds a little bit, you know, having hurt feelings about people not being around. But then also I, I led and dug into my work, but also I spent the first year uh, in quarantine before quarantine was happening. Cause my first year was 2019 going into 2019. And so I kind of was hibernating and working and I didn't go out. Like I didn't do much, but I was building like online and trying to build and only going out work with clients. And then I was like slowly coming out. I was like, all right, I'm here. We're about to start doing it. And then COVID was like, Nope. I take your ass back in the house. And I was like, oh, okay, we're going back in. Okay. You're going to write a book now. Okay. It's just going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to start a podcast, write a book. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you Clubhouse, everybody. Here you go. I love to, what you said about your mom watching your mom. And do you ever think about that maybe just watching her be consistent, like you said, and watching her in her day to day and her her drive and her determination and who she was? Do you think like subconsciously maybe like that's still in you to be like, the the because you are consistent you know that's one thing that you are like you show up to it you keep doing it you're not giving up on yourself and I know in your book it says don't give up I love it it's like psh, in the face like don't give up so you feel like seeing your mom and your grandma like seeing women in your life do that had helped you as a as a child and maybe still does 100% my mom taught me with me watching her um show up against adversity she um, showed up through molestation, through abuse, through, um, uh, through again, having me at a young age at 16. She was the youngest of eight kids. And um, I just watched her over and over again bounce back. I watched my mom battle with depression and battle with diabetes my entire, her entire life. So all of my life, she had it. Um, and it was ultimately the thing that she passed away from complications from that uh, when she didn't have to. But I just watched her every day get up and face the world and then come home and silently suffer from depression, from, you know, having to take insulin all the time. And, you know, um, just, I, I just, I watched her resilience in that. And, you know, there was the good and bad in that, you know what I mean? Cause again, people who didn't live with us and who didn't know my mom, when I, I remember being, I remember this very specific moment in my life when I had a, my best friend and I was with her and she would be over to the house. She knew my mom and my mom was goofy and funny and silly. And people loved my mom because she was such a character. Hello. You know where I get it from, I guess. And, and, uh, and she was a writer, right? She was a poet and a writer. She was such a creative. My mom was a creative. She did so many things. I watched her create a song on a kid's piano that the school system used here uh, in their public access channels as a, as a theme for the school system. I watched her create the song on my wow. play piano keyboard, like the toy keyboard wow. <laughs> working on the work song. Like it <laughs> anyway, but, but people, I remember this very specific moment I was talking to my friend and I made mention that my mom dealt with depression and I remember her response and I'll never forget it because in that moment, it was what I realized that I guess the light bulb came on for me to realize how much my mom put on when she stepped out into the world that 
she hid it so well. Uh, and my friend responded and said, what? Your mom ain't. No. Like she, like she legit just was like, Miranda, you're making this up. Your mother is not. No, no way. Like, and I think I also picked that up too, yeah. that I just work. And that's why that first year, most people who followed me via social media, the fact that I would say, if they would hear me say I was dealing with depression and those things silently, most people would say, I couldn't tell. But then I think also, too, it's become such a thing that people suffer in silence that I think more people can identify with that now than they would be in disbelief. But there are still going to be people that are going to be like, I would have had no idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us do battle with things silently and we don't have to yeah. um, and we shouldn't, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but yeah, no, I love this talk. Cause this is like, I feel you on this seeing, seeing my mother too was bipolar and you know, she had sexual abuse and a lot of stuff happened to her. And I think it's interesting because now you think back as to why we're so determined or why we won't give up and who we got to have as models was amazing. And your grandma, I mean, I mean now in 2021, God, like these kids can't fall down. We're like helicopter parenting and don't hurt their feelings and say the right thing. And it's like, you know what? You're going to be offended, kid. Like, I live in Australia right now, so I'm like, I hope my kids don't become a little privileged. I want them to have some, some roughness from America, but, like, how do I give them the roughness without them experiencing what I had to go through? You know, it's hard now. So I love that we have this, this these models to give us that strength. 100%. My son is definitely... Um, yeah, he definitely is um, catered to a lot more than I was as a kid. And I lived with my mom and my grandmother. My grandmother was a Virgo. So I remember very, my grandma wasn't cookies and cuddly and, you know, warm and fuzzy. I remember one time I was sitting on the couch crying in the living room and my grandmother came down the hallway and I'll never forget these were her words. God rest her soul. She actually, she passed away. Um, uh, yesterday was the one year anniversary. She passed away last year during COVID. My mom passed away in 2015 uh in may and so um, i think god they passed away close to each other so i just we mourn in this little window here um but i remember my grandmother coming down the hallway and saying what you crying for (laughs) okay Okay. (laughs) i don't know i don't know (laughs) we don't have to talk about it (laughs) she but that the way she said it didn't really mean i want to know it was more like stop crying yeah like i don't care stop like it's you don't need to be crying you have a great life And yet and still, when my son was born, my grandmother would treat him away. And I I remember looking, my grandmother would treat him away. And I was like, wait a minute now, ma'am. You skipped the grandkids and you got soft on the, the yes, great grandkids. That happens. My, my my father-in-law is so soft and he was a tyrant. And my, and my husband's like, did he just let him say that and have that cookie or do that thing? And I'm like, it must be. It's quite funny. And it's I think it's so good for us to have the, their memories and have that and bring that in to the world now. Because... Yeah. I feel like our kids are going to get value from it. I feel like the more we talk about it and more we share it, it almost will become this historical thing that no one knows existed. But it was like, yeah, back in the day, you know, you had to do it yourself and not get coddled and loved up. And you had to move through yeah. like that resilience that it gives you. And I, yeah, it's amazing. So big love, rest in power to both of those beautiful women who you got to you. model because that's, that's, that's everything. So all right, and, and when, when we talk about this beautiful book that you wrote, you are an author. Oh, my God. Isn't it great when you – I mean, we, we're new book writers over here, people. So if you're listening to this, we're going to celebrate the hell out of this because it's a damn big deal. And we don't celebrate ourselves enough as women. Never mind women of color. We need to celebrate the shit out of ourselves. So 
This is you are an author now, and your book is out in the world. You've been doing a, a book tour right now. Yeah. Is that like? How does it feel to see your book, your physical baby? It's in Australia. It's all over the world. How does it feel to have this book out in the world? Yeah, Erica, you're not gonna make me cry. So let me pause. I'm taking a deep breath before I talk about this. Um, you know, honestly, oh man. I didn't, I underestimated the weight of it. Mm. So I'm a Leo. I have masculine energy. And by masculine energy, I mean, I have like, okay, what's next? Let's get it yeah, done. <laughs> what, what, what are we doing next? And yeah. so honestly, when I got to this book part of the entrepreneur, it, it, it felt like the next thing to do. It's like, okay, now it's time to write a book. Mm. I, I'm not somebody that has been sitting around and desiring to write a book and fill it with things about me. I knew that if I ever wrote a book, it would solely be for the benefit of the people reading it. I, because, and also because those are the type of books that I consume. Me, yeah. I don't read a lot of nonfiction books. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been like that my whole, my entire life as a teenager. Like literally in, on this bookshelf down here, there are books that I think I've had since my early 20s or maybe teens that are like self-help books that I just kept because, and so it was the next best thing. I thought, okay, now it's time to write a book. So let me have a product. And once I started the journey, um, the weight of it started to kick in like, Oh, this is a big deal. Oh, okay. I guess. And so just the more I talked about it, the more I got into it, the more we stepped into it. And as it started to come together, which is also my favorite thing to do to see something come from idea and thought to life. It's, yes. it's, it's high for me. It's like, oh, it's happening, right? I mean, right, right now I'm in the middle of um, planning a, um, uh, an event for Saturday and I'm excited. Like, I'm, you know, it's like, oh, it's coming to life. Like, I can't wait to see all the stuff go up and, and people start showing up and it's like, it's happening. Yeah. Um, and so we started this book in October of last year. We, we said, okay, me and my project manager who uh, assisted me in this project and putting it together. So we did the brain dump and then we did the organizing. And then um, I did, we, we went through and had 14 revisions of it, right? Um, we started and we said in October, okay, let's do it. And then we published the book in March uh, on the 30th. Wow. And so we, from writing to editing to publishing to launching in five months. And I think it all happened so quickly <laughs> that um, we didn't really have time to slow down. And so, um, yeah, I think once it came out and hit for me, the feeling um, was more so uh, relief. And there was a moment where I felt more vulnerable, I think, than I've ever felt. All the things that I've done, I'm thinking to myself, why do I feel so vulnerable? Yeah, yeah. I, re I remember the moment it arrived in the mail. And so a couple of things happened. So I didn't wait to get my copy before I just launched it on Amazon. I said, I'm going to get it with everybody else. Wow. I'm just going to trust it. I'm going to get it with everybody else. We had done all the things. And I said, you know what? We've done everything. Like yeah. at this point, it's on print. Like, Blender. yeah, just we're just going to put it out there. I was the first one to order my book sitting on the toilet. I hit the um, order book on it <laughs> and I ordered it. And then I launched it to my email list first. And then over the weekend it came out. And so by the time I got my book, someone else had actually gotten the book before me and had posted it on Instagram. And so I saw it in somebody else's hand on Instagram before it got to me. But the day it got to me, I remember getting the book in my hand, opening it up and saying, Oh, the first thing I thought was, okay. 
Okay. And, and so I was looking at it, kind of analyzing it. And I flipped through and I walked over to this very seat and I sat down and I sat down in the chair. And as soon as my, my behind hit the seat, mm-hmm. imposter syndrome kicked in because I said, wait, up until this moment, all of the excitement about this book has been based off of this dope cover that my graphic designer did and based off of people's excitement about me as a person who like me, nobody has read this book and a book. People have to like what's in it. (laughs) Hey, Miranda, like all the excitement about the book, like I launched it, people were sharing it. I mean, it got like over 600 some shares. People were like all excited about it. And I said, oh, wait, nobody's read it other than the people that I have let read it, like the small circle of people that have read it. I don't even know if people like what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary. How did you feel? Were you, did you go like, get, did you get critical? Did you get like, okay, like how did, what was the first feel for you? I have learned to dance with fear yeah. in a way that helps me to push past it. Yeah. And what I did was I took a breath in that moment and I reminded myself that intentions create the results. Mm -hmm. And I reminded myself of the intention in which I wrote this book. I reminded myself of the care I took to write this book. I reminded myself that I sat on the toilet and I read this book out loud and I thought about the people that I wanted to impact. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I'm just going to trust the intention in which I wrote this book that it's going to do for the people exactly what it needs to do for them. Yes. And I had that conversation with myself. I took that breath and I decided to trust the intention in which I wrote it. And I said, it doesn't matter what people don't care for it or if there's somebody that can critique certain things that I know I did everything that I, 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 I put it all on the tables. I mean, you know, not that it's that amazing of a book, but I just knew I had done everything I need to do to make sure that it was something that I, I was proud of. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I just let it go. I said I wasn't going to be overcritical because honestly, the first critique I had, because I did have a critique, I was like, oh, it's a little bigger than I thought. I honestly thought the book was a little bigger than I imagined them to like print it out to be. And ironically, that has been a resounding compliment like you just gave me when I came on. The thing that I was critiquing about has been such a reoccurring compliment from entrepreneurs who are in their middle 30s to 40s. Yes. have been saying, I am so grateful these words are big, that it's not a whole lot of words on the page. And it was an easy rate. This, this has been the re- the reoccurring compliment. It's so good. Listen, if you're listening to this, we want you to get the book. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. But what I was saying to Miranda before we came on is I love how big it is. I'm a, you know, and you, I'm, I'm like an audio book girl. So now when I read, I was reading this and I'm like, this is so easy to read. And it's so good. And it was like, it, it was like encouraging me to read it. The book was encouraging me. I don't know. That's what I'll say. And I was yeah. like, oh, cool. I can, I, I got this. I can read this. It wasn't like these tiny little letters and all this wall of text. And I love the font. It's just, it's fun. It's you. It's freaking awesome. So we need Thank to like, you. I'm so excited. So we need to get into the book. So I love that you start the book with finding purpose in your past. So, and it, and this is a book for entrepreneurs and it's what every entrepreneur needs to know about branding and purpose. What is, in your eyes, entrepreneurship missing when it comes to branding and how does purpose and finding purpose in your past kind of mash into that? Yeah, very good question. So what I feel like uh, most people are missing when it comes to their brand is the intentional feeling that they want to give people. I feel like most people start putting together their brand and they don't know what feeling they want to give to people. 
They have no idea how they make people feel even. Yeah. Um, they haven't even thought about it. And if you ask most businesses or most people who run a business, how does your business make people feel? The fact that people can't tell you to me should be alarming, yeah. right? If, if you don't know exactly what you make a person feel as an individual and or as a brand and your business, then how do you know how to, to duplicate that? Yeah. How do you know how to keep them hooked in? How do you know what to, to create around that? Like everything about your business should be built around a feeling. I love that. It so really much. should. I love that. Yeah. And so um, that's what I think is missing with branding because people want to get to the low hanging fruit, which is colors and logos. And yeah. <laughs> you know they want to take a photo shoot and they want to, they want to feel good. And it's like, I want to feel like a boss. And it's like, you know, entrepreneurship at times can be a little bit, um, you know, <laughs> it could be, you know, a little egotistical. It could be about it. Sometimes we make it about us, you know, especially as solo entrepreneurs, depending on your personality. And um, I think identifying purpose, why it's so powerful to identify purpose is because a lot of times the feeling is connected to the purpose. So what I discovered in working with so many clients is that most of us as solo entrepreneurs or anybody that starts a business, most of us can trace back to a moment in our lives. This is why story is so powerful, because most of us can go back to a moment in our lives where it can connect us to the work that we do. And so either at some point in your life, you're either trying to give people something you either had in abundance from your past or something you were lacking. Mm. And most businesses kind of stem out of that. And so if you can tap into that moment and that purpose, your why, as to why you created this, somewhere around that, you're, you're able to find the feeling that it gave you, that you were lacking. And then you can take that and say, this is probably the feeling that most people are identifying with in the work that you do that they don't even know. And if you can maximize that, you're winning. Because we make emotional purchases. When you connect to people emotionally, when you connect to their heart, you connect to their wallet. When yeah. you connect to the emotion in people, that's what makes them make a decision. And, and, you know, I use this really simple analogy of I could go through my phone book and I need a plumber. And then I could see 17 plumbers names or businesses. But then one of them is going to make me feel a little different. I'd be like, I don't know what it is. Something about this. And I feel something. I feel drawn to it. So I, I you know, and we often use that in purchasing. We say, I felt like, you know, I, I just felt like I had to have it or I felt yeah. a thing. Yep. Yep. I love that too, because the truth is when you look at these big companies and I was listening to something recently about like the personal brand and the person behind it and like how people are buying people and they're buying your story and why you do what you do. Not so much what you do. Like I don't buy these press on nails. I love these press on nails, right? That I'm wearing, but I buy like who made them, why she built the company and what she's about and what, you know, like the whole story behind it and the feeling that it gives me. And I think it's something you're right that, that we're lacking. We try to get our logos and our fonts and our colors and our photos and our perfect grid and all that shit. And it's like, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. And, and, you know, even thinking about those press on nails, like, why do you like them so much, Erica? And that they make me feel great. And I, and they, they are five minutes. Girl, I don't have two hours to sit in that damn nail salon. <laughs> but I feel, I feel very cool with them on. Yes. You like how they make you feel. But the, the pain point for you is the convenience of them, like you just said. Right? And I don't know who or what the brand is. But I would imagine that somewhere in their marketing and branding that they cater to that feeling of 
the frustration you have attached to how much time it takes to get nails and how much they cost maybe, or the, the time you have is that time chopped in half. And then these will make you feel just as amazing as those ones you have to wait. They, they have like bad bitch marketing, you know, it's like they got, they got green nails and then it's like really cool and makes you feel like, Oh yeah, I could be, and I'm a Gemini. So I'm like, I'm bored in two weeks. I need them to come off and they come off so I can get the new ones. And I'm like, I'm so Gemini, like next, next, next. My son is a Gemini. When's his, When's birthday? his birthday? May 25th. He just turned 16. Wow. And didn't your grandma passed away in May or your mom? My mom passed away. He, she passed away two days before his birthday. So May 23rd? She did. Do you know what's so weird? I know we're still recording. I don't care because this is a conversation okay. me and you. But I was wondering when your mom passed away because my son and I thought, I bet she was on Raven, my son Raven's birthday and he was born May 23. My son. I know. He was born May 23rd. May 23rd, which is crazy because you you were saying that and I'm like, I swear, I was like, I wonder if it was so weird because I want to be like, when? But I didn't want to like interrupt you. Oh, but I'm no, like, no. How crazy. crazy. One, that is, that is, that is not a coincidence. I just omens, you know, signs. 2015 too. 2015, that's when he was born? Yes. He was born in 2015. So, so we're going to go, I'm going to go down this hole and then we're going to come back. Yeah, out. girl, it's okay. Listen. <laughs> so... We, my, me and my son were just talking about this today because we, we moved into this house the next year after my mom passed away. Um, so that my aunt can move over with my grandmother. And um, we got a dog the next year. And we got the dog around the time my mom passed because Max, our first dog, was born in May around this time. Like, right, he was born and uh, around May. And we got the dog then. My grandmother passed away last year on the 8th of June. And we... We were supposed to, we adopted this dog we just got this week and we couldn't get him because we went to California and we ended up coming back and we got back uh, Sunday and then we had a rest day and I was trying to get the dog another day and they were like, hey, can we bring him on yesterday, which was the 8th. And so we got the dog on the 8th. So the second dog we got on the day. That's (laughs) crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, it just the just the series of events around those things. But yeah, the twenty third, she passed away two days before his birthday, and oh so God. yeah, it was really tough. Yeah, that is Thank crazy. You. Yeah, see, it's so weird. And then like I feel like we started our business around the same time. We both wrote a book in the pandemic. I think I wrote my book in six weeks as well. It was like a fast thing. We're just too much. Okay, good. <laughs> like, oh my God. Hey, 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 this is a little intermission from me to you. I just really quickly wanted to invite you to pretty please head over to thequeenofconfidence.com forward slash podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to review it. Let me know what you think. I love honest opinions. It helps more women reach this podcast. So pretty please head over to thequeenofconfidence.com forward slash podcast or go to Apple iTunes and leave me a beautiful little review. I would love and appreciate it. All right, sister, let's get back to the episode. Those of you listening right now to Miranda's story and resonating with, there's so many things you said that I'm like, I see myself in that story. I resonate with you. Obviously, you know what you're talking about. So, and I want to get to that part where you talk about no like trust because I love that. But, you know, it, it's important because you could have a woman named Miranda talking about branding and purpose and how you need a brand strategist. Or you could have a woman named Miranda and she tells you her story and you're like, yeah, I love this. She likes music, boom, 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 and radio. And like, you fall in love with her. Like, I fell in love with you and I met you. I'm like, I love her just from your voice. And I didn't even know your story. I knew you were going to have a fire story, though. I just knew it. You know, you just know. Um, and this is why I think everybody that just met you on social media 
fell so in love with you because they heard your story, your voice, what you had to offer and bought your book and was like, I trust that she's amazing because they, they just did. So I love this talk about finding your purpose in your past and, and really using your story and why you did what you did. And like you said, the intention. And if you heard her, I mean, she said when she got her book, which is a major, you know, imposter syndrome moment for anybody who dares to write and dares to be creative and that, it, like what shook you back into it was your intention, you know, yeah. hold on a minute. I got my, my intention and why I built this book and that if you can do this, find your purpose in your past, you can get you out of these major moments of who am I to do this and get you back on track to serving your clients. Yep. I think you have to ask yourself because I think if we make a plan for fear, instead of trying to be fearless and pretend that fear is not something that is simply an indicator. I I discovered this the other day when I was at a um, a few weeks ago, I was at a retreat and I had this epiphany in the session that I was leading. And, you know, I realized that fear is an indicator. It's an indication that something is coming, that that's all it is simply. And sometimes that thing is good and sometimes it's bad. And so then we have to ask ourselves if fear is an indication, it's here, it's meant to, there's healthy fear, it's here for us that we have to accept that it's going to be there and then to decide as we advance in our career and as in success, because as we go higher and higher, there's always going to be something bigger. That's going to make us a little bit more scared. That's going to rock us. And, and we have to make a plan for fear. And so ask yourself, how do I dance for fear? Is this something I need to lean into or is this something I need to protect myself from instead of trying to be fearless because we're taught to be fearless. And to me, that's unhealthy because fear is natural. It's, it's here to protect us. Yeah. And at times we need to retreat. We're, you know, instinctual like animals. I, I want I would like to believe we're smarter than animals. And, you know, maybe sometimes I'm I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I look at the news and I'm like, nope, I wish I was a panther. 2020 made me doubt it. I was like, mm, I think not. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's about how you dance with fear and deciding to lean into things and to to put things in perspective when it shows up, because if fear was always bad, then why does it show up when good things are about to happen for us? That is a tweetable moment. If fear is, what did you say? If fear was always bad, then why does it show up when good things are about to happen to us? Like when you're about to accept an award or somebody's honoring you and you're about to walk on stage, why does fear come over us in these moments that are seemingly great moments? Like I wrote a book. Like, why am I scared? Like, this is an amazing thing. Why is fear present? And so fear is an indication. Here's Here's the beautiful part, Erica. Here's the lean in. Here's the holy shit part. Fear is an indication that something is coming on the other side of that fear. So sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. So on the other side of this book was something amazing. And I just need to lean into it and move through this fear because something is coming. Yeah. Something big is happening. This book is going to open. It's going to do so. I don't know what it is, but something yeah. is coming. So if there's fear present behind something that is seemingly a good thing, that means something good is on the other. That is the confirmation. Yeah. The fear shows up as the confirmation that, oh, something good is about to happen. I need to lean into this. I love that. I love that. Rewind that. If you love that, please let us know. Tag us both because... That right there is beautiful. What a beautiful way to reframe it as well. And I love that you said it's not fearless because that's bullshit. We all, we all got things that we're worried about and scared about. Let's let's use 
your fear. Don't let it use you. You know, like we need to be fueled by it. Oh, I love this. Okay. You, you had said something about dreaming big and, 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 and the four things to help you dream. And I loved this because I think sometimes we do get into, like you said, imposter syndrome and we're like, who am I to go, you know, do that? And who am I to build this business and, and share my, why my story? I get women all the time. I don't have a crazy story like you, Erica. I'm like, so what? Like, you don't need to have story shame about the story. We all have lived something, right? So sometimes that stops us comparison and all that. And then we don't dream big. We don't let ourselves for this fear of whatever. And you, in the book, you talked about the four things to help you dream. And I loved it because I, we love tangible stuff up in here that you can like do and write and action. Um, and you said, number one is like accepting your fear. Uh, and then accept that you're not for everyone. Oh, what? I love that. And then create your routine and then write your vision and dreams down on paper, which I love. Tell me about this, like the, the steps to dream big. Yeah. So accepting fear. I just kind of tapped into that, right? Because we, we spend so much time trying to suppress it and avoid it. We, we're, we're taught wrong with that. Um, I think um, a lot of getting to the root of people's fear, when you sometimes get to the root of it, a lot of it is an acceptance. I think naturally we want to uh, be accepted by other people and we feel this overwhelming desire to be accepted by everyone. And so when we don't, um, it bothers us. And also in the world of entrepreneurship, a lot of people lean into thinking that they're for everyone, that their business is for everyone. And there's this grave desire for that. But that's the opposite of the best way to be successful in what you do is to understand that you are absolutely not for everybody. And so then you start to move towards the people that you are for. And then when you do that, you start to create a product that is for somebody very specific to build your business for something very specific. And this is kind of the road to success. So realistically, the road to success is to leaning into the fact that you aren't for everybody. That is how you make your business more relevant is to lean into the fact that there's a group of people that you're not for. So you don't need to cater or talk to them. You really need to focus on this 20% that you are for. And that's how you grow your business because that 20% grows. Mm, yes. I so, love that. Really accept that you are for everybody is the road to success. <laughs> yeah, And let, let them not like you, let them dislike you so that you can find who likes you. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. That just means that you're not their cup of tea. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Nobody likes everything anyway. So nothing is nothing. for everybody. Yes. Nothing. The last one was with the third one was right. Your, was it right? Your, um, what was hey, the third routine, one? Routine, routine. Oh, the routine. Yes. Uh, having a routine was very powerful for me. Um, and because the routine gets you in the habit of uh, uh, showing up, it ignites something. Having a routine just ignites something within you. It recalibrates you. It gets you disciplined. Um, for me, my routine was deeply rooted in um, listening to audiobooks and listening to podcasts in the morning. And I paired it with me getting dressed every morning, um, especially during COVID. I needed a routine to, to, for my sanity. And so I would get out of the bed and I would go to the bathroom and I would get dressed and I would listen to podcasts and I would listen to audiobooks and then I would do things that I would do. And so having a routine really it, it works your discipline discipline. And it also helps you with consistency because consistency in business is how you succeed, right? So creating that routine, creating that discipline. And then the last one was writing it down. There is so much power in writing things down. Yes. Like not like texting with your thumbs. I mean, like there's something about that connection from your brain to your hand 
that is extremely magical and powerful. And I don't know if we've done enough as people on this earth or scientists or doctors to tap into whatever it is, but it's something there and it's magical. And if you really want to get fancy and funky, then you would write sentences that are, are things that you're challenged with, with your non-dominant hand, because everything in your body, everything in your body. So you know what I think about writing? This is what I think is connected to. I think writing is directly connected to manifestation. So if you're struggling with manifestation in a world where we're so all over the place, when you write things with your hand, what else can you do other than pay attention to what you're writing? And especially if you write with the other hand, nothing. Like you just focused. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Everything in your body is focused on the words that are being put on that paper. And so with your non-dominant hand, even more intensely, you're focused on the words that are being put on the page. And so everything in your body is willing that thing to come to fruition through this pen. I love it so much. And also I think even writing and the disassociation from you being your, on the, on the flip side, like you thinking the thought and then not putting it out and thinking you are the thought. And when you see yourself write crappy things down, it's like, oh, I'm not that. It's on the paper. Like you disassociate as well. And so, because I love journaling. Um, but yes. I love this, the manifesting and making it on paper. There is, there's got to be, we need Brene Brown's study team, okay, to do a study. So I know, I know in the book you talk about her, I love her too. She's in my book too. Talked about her damn TED Talk because it freaks me out trying to do a TED Talk. Thank you, Brene Brown, for putting the bar so damn high. Um. <laughs> right. She was one of my first impressionable TED Talks too. Yeah. Like seriously, she, yeah. she was when she was one of the people that looped me into TED Talks and then I it made the biggest impression on me that one about vulnerability it was it was good like she's amazing but I love this okay so writing down and this is on paper okay for y'all that are listening this is not on an app and this is not on your notes app because it's true there's power in the writing and it takes time so it means you got to slow down it means you got to give yourself that that time if you want to be bougie you can get a beautiful journal and a nice pen as well why not yep you're worth it did you, when you were writing ever, like in your stories that you write, I know when you're talking about your family and personal things, like feel like you go into a, I wrote chapter two of my book was like a little bit about my story and it was so messed up. Some of the parts that I felt like I went into this tunnel and there was, it blurred everything. And I don't know where I was. I was like in this like white tunnel, like with spirit. I just felt like I was so with spirit and everything was blurred out and I just was, there. and then I came out of it and I'm like, what the hell just happened? And where was I? And I couldn't get back to it, Miranda. Like I couldn't, I just had that when I had that and that was it. And it was just so, yeah, I don't know. It feels crazy when you're in that place where you're letting yourself go deep into that presence. I think you zoned out, you know, you get into this <laughs> zone of writing, um, you know, this writing genius, cause I'm just going to call you a genius, but you get into this, this zone of just really, and I think what happens in those moments, I mean, I don't know, but what it sounds like is that you just go into a space of really tapping into like something that is intentional and meant to come out. You know what I mean? I think those moments are isolated. I think those moments happen when we're, we're right where we're supposed to be. And this is a thing that needs. And so everything kind of hones in and says, lean into this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that part of your book, which I have, by the way, because I did a whole live about your book. Did you see the live? Like I tagged you in it. Like I, I unveiled your book on camera and all the stuff in it because I still have. Oh your my. <laughs> I was so tickled. I love this you. Cup. I know, just like. <laughs> um, and uh, but 
I think what happens, you know, with everyone is when, when you're leaning into that space and, and, and writing in that book, that it was exactly what was supposed to come out in that moment. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It's that flow state. There is, um, there's something that you said and I wrote it down and I was like, Oh, I love this so much. It's such a great, it's such a great lesson for entrepreneurs and anyone who's trying to be a trailblazer and a change maker. Um, it said clarity and speed are your best friends. Tell me about that quote. Cause that shit blew my mind. And I'm like, ah, bah, bah, bah. this is me highlighting your whole damn book, by the way. But tell me, <laughs> tell us about that. Cause I love that. Yes. Clarity and speed are your best friend. I think, you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, that part of, of me talking about that was around the time of talking about um, being very clear about your messaging. Yep. Um, and then, and then, you know, being very clear about the message that you deliver. And I think a lot of times we, we do not, we get so bogged down with details <laughs> and we're trying to tell people all of the things, um, <laughs> all of the time that we lose people in the details easily. We lose people in our stories. We lose people in trying to share too much. We lose people in trying to loop them into our passion. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just feel like, you know, being clear and quickly getting to your point is the best thing to, to, to capture people's attention, especially when you're trying to grab their attention and bring them in. And so for me, uh, more than trying to bombard people with the details and the stories and give people so many backstories. I think we need to spend more time making sure that people are clear and concise about who we are, what we can do for them, how we can serve them. And more importantly, why should they care? So the quicker you can get to why people should care about the thing that you are trying to get them to, but that takes a very conscious attempt to not make it about you. And so not make it about your business, not make it about how long you've been in business and how much I'll do for the community. And at the end of the day, you have that. Does this person really care about that? So um, but clarity and speed and how quickly you can get to that is super important. Um, And so just again, just always imagine the people you are pitching to trying to convince are standing in front of you thinking, what does this have to do with me and why should I care? Yeah, yeah. I love be that. clear about it and quickly get to the point. Yeah, I love that too because I know that you talked about elevator pitch and I would love to talk about that because I think that that comes up so much and I think some people cringe when they hear elevator pitch and the word pitch and the word elevator and it's like, ah, and like Americans, we talk, we make best friends in the damn elevator. You know, where I am in Australia, <laughs> people don't talk in the elevator and I'm like, hi, how are you? How was this day? Like, so it's, it's some people feel scared of this. Some people get excited about this, but I want to say I remember listening to Tony Robbins saying that it's like the me too and who cares, you know, you get on stage and you're like, my name is Erica and I'm so great and all these things look at me and it's like, who cares? As opposed to like, hey, I doubted myself and someone in the audience is like, oh, me too. She's like me. She's like me. And I and I love I love how you shared in the book and I love how you share in your business and on social media because you do that me too. You let people see themselves in you. And, and it's really beautiful that you do that. So if you're listening, make sure you do that. Pay attention to what Miranda's doing, okay? <laughs> um, so tell me about this elevator pitch and why it matters and how can we make it sexy 2020 and not uh, 2021. Sorry, not 2020. 2020 was not sexy. <laughs> Nothing about 2020 was sexy. Um, <laughs> take, you know, um, delivery orders were sexy in 2020. That's about it. Right, okay, right. your food getting delivered. <laughs> Menu long. Um 
So, how, you know, how can we, for anybody listening that's scared of elevator pitches, why do you feel it matters and what can you, what can you speak to on that? Yeah, I think um, knowing when the elevator pitch is um, necessary for one is important, right? Because there are different types that you can have, you know, depending on what the goal is. And I always say to just start with the end in mind, because some spaces require a certain type of elevator pitch. And at the end of the day, it's always going to be based on who the person is you're pitching to and what they care about. And so it's about putting yourself in their shoes. Um, But the elevator pitch, I think, is extremely important because the more clear and concise you can be about who you are and really what you do for people on an emotional level, the more clear you can be about that and just getting to the point, then the less time you waste boring people or losing people Mm -hmm. and the quicker you can get to the money. That's the reality. I mean, I, I could spend a whole bunch of time talking to you about my backstory and, and people, sometimes people care, but most of the time they don't like, nobody's going to be as passionate about your story as you are. There are spaces where the stories matter, but you have to have the discernment to say, this is when it matters. And this is when it doesn't. And a lot of times I think people don't really have that discernment to think when are the moments. And a lot of people are really anxious about networking spaces because they don't know what to say. And this is why the the um, elevator pitch is so powerful because to get this down, because people's biggest fear about networking is that they either are saying too much or they're saying too little. <laughs> like, you know, it's like they're, they're doing the most uh, or they're doing the least and they're not really getting their point across. And so the elevator pitch is so valuable because in any setting, whether you're uh, in a crowd and somebody goes to you and gives you the mic quickly and says, hey, tell us about your business, right? You have an opportunity to loop people in or whether you're in a networking situation and someone walks up to you and says, hey, I want you to shoot this guy. And you're like, wait, wait. And they're like, yeah, come on. And we just got to tell them what you do. And you're like, uh, well, uh, right. Yeah. So there are so many opportunities and moments where you have to on the spot quickly explain to somebody what the the mm, give them that hook and hook people in and the more you have it down the better and that's what the, that, that's the value of the elevator pitch that it, it you can expand it or shorten it depending on the circumstance and people are like hey I want to tell stories how long should my story be as long as it needs to be based on the circumstance right I could give you a cookie cut answer and be like it needs to be a minute duh, 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 duh. but at the end of the day sometimes yeah. it could take a little more that's the reality right yeah. I'm, I'm so uh, my, my, my Libra heart won't let me, I'm, I, I got to yeah. find the balance, right? <laughs> I'm a Leo sun rising, but I got a Libra heart. And so I, yeah. there has to be balance. I love it. It's, it's so good too, because like I, I learned this lesson in podcasting. One of my girlfriends is just non-apologetic. And what that looks like is, you know, you can judge someone and be like, Oh my God, you talk so long. Wow. You're so blah, blah. like, you should be more polite. And the non-apologetic friend teaches you because you're trying to judge them and they teach you by not giving a shit and taking up all the damn space and time because someone said, tell me your story. And it's funny because I was judging. I was like, oh my God, it's too much talking. You're on somebody's podcast. Blah, blah, blah. And it was so funny because if I allowed myself to see in my judgment, the lesson that she was teaching me by being who the hell she was being, I learned that I was being apologetic when someone said, tell me your story. And so it's, it's interesting because... When you have, yeah, it was like, you know, that's why I, I don't care about this show. I want it to go as long as it needs to go. We don't have a time limit. I don't have 50 questions for you. I'm like, we're going to dance. Like you said, you make me want to dance. Like we dance, right? So it's really beautiful to be like noticing where we even stop ourselves of like, oh, want to ask someone, how long should my story be? It's like, 
no permission. Like permission slip to make it as long as you feel it needs to be in the circumstance. And if it's too long, you will know, <laughs> you know, like experience will teach but, you. But I think also that's where the elevator pitch comes in because some people don't know. Mm. Like some people don't know. And that's why I think with the elevator pitch, it's important to help you to shape that. So you will know. Yes. Right. So it's it's just about management because what I could say, hey, yeah, just go as long as you need to. If you're going as long as you need to and you're not getting to your point, you're losing people, then you're, you are wasting time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so we, we we get in this space where we allow the grace, but then we don't say, hey, you got to we have to ring it in and manage it. And I think management is probably the best word there. Yeah. Yeah. And sitting down doing that work. So I feel like you use the example of different places. And I wanted to bring up Clubhouse because I learned I don't want to say late to the game because who is late to the game? It's a new app, right? It's still brand new. Being on Clubhouse with our friend, our mutual friend, Suze Chadwick, right? Like, love her. And she was just a boss in there. She's like, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing. I'm messing around. And so I have two clients. I have the everyday woman client, and then I got a business client. And so I was so confused in Clubhouse of who to speak to. And if you look at that platform, everyday normal people aren't sitting there, like, looking for life coaches. It's like so many business people. So I'm like, no, I'm just going to change everything on Clubhouse. I'm just there with business for business. That is it. And it was really helpful because if I didn't do what you were saying about the elevator pitch, I wouldn't, I'd be so confused in there and then we can waste time. Right? Like 100% it's about knowing who you're speaking to and because you need to know what they care about in order to create that pitch. Yeah. And some people want to hear story and some people want you to just get to the point and you have to know your audience. Like it's so important. Like some people love story and some spaces are perfect for long stories. And then some spaces require you to condense that story and then make a pack, like make that punch, like, uh, I got to bring this home. Yeah. And I always start with the end in mind before I start talking. I think, what do I want people to feel in the end? And then I try to come up with no more than three points, sometimes two, but at the max three. Yeah. And I make those points and I see when I'm curving and I say, but this is what I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think it helps you. It teaches you and shapes you to in those settings to, to, to be more impactful and more effective because what's the end goal hearing yourself talk yeah. or, you know, connecting the people and, and, and impacting people. Yeah. I love it. It's, that's a good rule of thumb. Um, I want to ask you about social media and then I want to talk about that. No like trust in there okay. as we get closest to the end. But you, <laughs> you said something in the book, which I love because I have this it's not a quote, but it's like a metaphor. I think I love metaphors and I just be thinking in analogies. This is a Gemini brain analogies and metaphors. And you said, um, feeling naked on social media, sometimes making you feel naked. And I have this thing that I say, you need to get metaphorically naked on social media. If you want people to trust you, like really like have me strip down first, see my shit. There you go. Now let me see yours. Like kind of thing or else they won't. And I love that you had that. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, we had too much synergies. Tell me about that. Like, how does that work with the no like trust? How does that work with social media in general? It's such a big topic. Yeah, I think so. The quote was, um, it's so funny. I was at the on my book signing tour, one of the guys bought the book and he was waiting to get his juice in line. And he came back and he said, Oh my god, this quote. He said, standing, he said, This is this is it. Standing on so you know, being on social media is like standing in front of someone naked asking them to love you. No. He was like, because that's the quote. <laughs> he was like, Yes, oh my God. And I said, the vulnerability that exists in that space of 
um, putting something out there, putting your business out there, putting your baby out there and saying, hey, like this, right? Because we're so hung up in the likes, the, you know, the endorphins, the the instant gratification of, a, oh, how many people like it? Like you post it and you're like, reviews, that's it. Nobody's looking. Nobody shared this. And so, um, but the reality is that people absorb content differently and it doesn't mean that it doesn't equate to that. But it, it's very similar to a relationship because ultimately at the end of the day, you feel like you're dating your audience and you are. You're trying to get them to know you, know who you are like who you are and trust you enough to do business with you. Right. And so it's, it's very similar to a relationship to building and understanding and standing in front of somebody vulnerable and saying, I want you to like me. I want you to know, like, and trust me. And that's a really scary space to be in, in relationships, which is why people struggle so much with them. And it's also a scary place to be in with your business and so that's why I, I, I liken that quote to that, because it's like it's I mean, I, I really realistically, I took it to the bedroom. <laughs> it's like, you know, you just get going to be like, hey, love me. Or, yeah. you know, metaphorically, I'm just going to show you who I am and hope that you still like me, even with all my flaws and with all the, the extra that comes along with it. Mm. And that's really what that 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 quote is about. And and that's the no like and trust. It's the rotation that I think people should live in also equally on social media to remember that when you're posting, you're posting things to let people know who you are as a business. You're posting things to help them like you. And then you're posting things to make them trust you by giving them value and letting them know what you're talking about. So these are also three categories you can post under. But even in that, um, you're building a relationship. That's how you build a relationship with anybody. I love a that. person, a dog, a friend. Yeah, uh, yeah you got to you, you got to show up. And this is the thing about showing up too. so many people are scared to show up, put their face on the gram or or have a video or, or, or show up. They're scared to take up that space. And I love earlier when you said dislike. So it's like no hate, like love, whatever, something. And then will they like you or not? They won't trust you. Will they dislike you? Cool. Then goodbye, like unfollow or unsubscribe, you know, it's all data. Mm. it's all data as an entrepreneur your social media is no longer the same as everybody else who is not in business your social media now exists to feed you information and when people don't respond to a thing they're either telling you one of two things that they're not your ideal target person or that they don't like to receive information that way and it's your job to discern which one it is and to make the adjustments everything is data when people don't like your stuff, it doesn't mean you're not worthy and your business is not worthy. It means you need to figure, we go back to what we talked about before. We got to figure it out. Yeah. It's just figuring it out. That's it. It's data. Oh, that's what they said. Oh, they didn't respond to that. Let's try something else. Okay. The last little bit, tell me about failure because I have this, I love, I loved that bit at the end where you're talking about failure because it's such a thing that people are scared of the rejection being a failure like failing like words are so important tell me about failure how you see it what it means to you how we can look at it differently yeah so uh, you know i i question whether failure is a real thing and i i equate failure to um i, I equate failure to giving up Like if I had to say failure was anything, it would be giving up completely. And I don't mean like if you started to do something and you realize, oh, I don't want to do this. I need to do something else. If you go do the something else, then to me, you're still not failing because you're still moving in a direction. 
And so for me, failure um, only shows up when you decide to completely give up on a thing. And at the end of the day, failure to me is just the universe or the world or God's way of telling you to figure something else out. If something does not work again, we have to be honest and put in perspective what that what message it sends us and how we dance with that message. How do we engage with it? Do we say this means I shouldn't be doing this? I should have never started. Or do you just pick up the pieces and say, what can I do differently to try this again? And we're so scared to try again. And I really honestly feel like at the root of failure is the root of our fear of failure, because that's an overwhelming fear for people. Uh, With a lot of my clients, when I say, what's your biggest fear? A lot of my clients say failure. As a matter of fact, my clients yesterday, her response was failure. I don't want to fail. And I think at the root of failure and the fear of that is judgment Mm -hmm. by other people. Because... Ask yourself this question. If you could fail in private, how much would it matter to you? If you could try something and it didn't work and nobody knew or saw it, how quickly would you restart and retry without beating yourself up, judging yourself, equating it to you not being valuable enough? Now, some people might get frustrated and, you know, but they're going to try again. Yeah. And so I think at the root of failing is we're worried about what it looks like to people in the public because we live in that type of world. Um, And the people who are extremely successful and wildly successful are willing to fail publicly and openly and keep moving in spite of. They just get back up and keep going. It's like, eh, it didn't work. And they might they might feel all the things. And and this is the big misconception, too. They don't feel it. They don't care. No, no, no. They feel it. We feel it. We 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 have the gut. We, We feel queasy. We feel all the things. Yeah. We feel the imposter syndrome, the old shit. I did the old, that was bad. We feel like we have all that. Vulnerability hangover. Yep. But we keep going. We say, you know what? I'm going to try it again. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to figure this out. And so it's about, and it goes back to either being honest about what type of person you are. Do you have that tenacity? Do you have that ability to do that? And if not, it doesn't mean you can't be successful. Maybe you need to find somebody who has that to partner with. You know what I mean? It's just about, again, everything is figure outable. (laughs) If that's even a word, everything is figure outable. (laughs) What's her name? Marie Forleo says it. So it's like, hey, this is that. I think that's what she called her book is like figure outable. Like we're going to figure it out. You can work it. I think it's great because failure what, how you spoke about it, it's just like, oh, it's not so scary. You know, you spoke about it in the book right towards the end where it's like, hey, this is just, let's learn from this. And I, I look at failing as learning. I also believe no one can fail. And I hate that they try to make it cool. Like, fail forward. I'm like, no, shit ain't cool. Like, failing means that I'm a failure. And when I think I'm a failure, it makes me not want to do it again. So words are really powerful. And it's like, if that didn't work, I learned that that wasn't great. And I learned to do it differently. So... I love that you think nobody can fail and it's not a thing. I don't believe it's a thing either. Let's make a club that says failing is not a real thing. It just means you're supposed to do something else. Like, I don't know, just figure it out. (laughs) That that wasn't it. All right, something else. (laughs) That means fail because it just, it has such a stigma. You're right. And it just, you know. It attaches a label to you that's unnecessary. And it's, and, and, and like Brene, it's that shame creeps in. 
Yes. And it paralyzes you. It, it messes with your psyche. It messes with your ability to show up when something didn't work. And we sit it over there and we put it in this space of this means I'm not worthy because I have these failures as opposed to eh, those things didn't work. Like, like, oh, I tried peas. I didn't like it. <laughs> Maybe I like lima beans. No, they're gross too. No. <laughs> oh, cauliflower. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have arrived. Oh, Miranda, I love what you're doing. I love you. You're so amazing. And I, and I really, I can't tell you guys enough. Get the book. You even have beautiful notes at the back. Like, uh, I love tangible things. It's, you know, you're really not only trying to get people to understand this and wrote it in such an understandable, actionable, hand-holding way, but also at the back you have an area where you ask questions and prompts. And I feel like this is something every book should have because sometimes, especially action books, maybe not fictional or whatever, but um, the ones like this, like that are going to teach you something because you get all these ideas and you start writing on the book and, and messing the book up and you put this at the back in hopes that people would get their stories and their ideas out on paper. I love that. I'm a writing book person too. And it was just, I don't know. I just wanted to have a space in the back to dump because a lot of times I I would write on a separate thing and then it would be separate from the book, but I wanted it together so that it could be a reminder right there that in the back, this is where this came. I love it because you can be flipping from page 62 to the back of the book and writing all your notes down. Um, Last question. So what do you want readers, if you could choose three things, maybe one thing, whatever you feel comfortable. One is very hard, but overall, what do you want readers to feel and take away from this book? The thing I would want people to, to feel from this book and the overall thing, I think the most important part for me is I want people to feel seen so that they can accept where they are, no matter where that is. So that they can grow from that space. And for me, writing this book in the way that I did, and I'm so glad you and other people have described it like a, a like somebody said it felt like I was sitting across the table from them, coaching them. And I think that same person said it felt like a warm hug from you. Yeah. <laughs> and and I wanted people to, for me, the biggest part of writing this book in the manner in which I did was I wanted to extinguish the shame. Um, and to feel seen in the space of really grasping, shifting that paradigm about things that they were confused about or didn't know about so that they can accept that space and then just grow from there. Like that really is, and and really understanding that, and, and a big part of eliminating that shame, honestly, Erica is understanding that the, the title we're, we're a lot alike, like you're not alone in that. Right. And so that's the big part of being seen is that, hey, I see you because these are similar experiences. We are this is you don't this everybody. This is very common. And that's that's what I learned working with so many people. I kept seeing people that were struggling with the same thing. I kept seeing it in everybody. And I thought, hey, I'm seeing this. I don't think people realize that everybody that's sitting in front of me is the same issues over and over again. And I think everybody that sits in front of me feels like I'm only going through this by myself. So I want people to feel seen, to know that we're a lot alike so that they can grow from that space because that's what keeps us stuck. That shame of this is just me. I'm alone. And yeah, that's the biggest thing. A lot alike. Get the book, Miranda. I could talk to you for 17 hours, woman. Like 
I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being a stand for this. If people want to find you, which I know they will, tell us where can they find you? Where do you hang out? Where can they get the book, especially? Awesome. Thank you, Erica. First of all, thank you for having me. I have enjoyed every bit of this. And you're right. We could keep on going because we have been going for a minute. I could literally keep on talking to you all night. <laughs> um, the book is on Amazon. You can find it at Amazon. It's also on Apple. Um, you can find it at uh, barnesandnoble.com, right? Uh, online. You can catch it at all of those places. Um, it's called A Lot Alike, okay? Um, that's three words, A Lot Alike, okay? And what every entrepreneur should know about branding and purpose my name is Miranda Joyner. That's M-A-R-A-N-D-A-J-O-I-N-E-R, spelled with all A's in the first name. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, that's mostly where I hang out and on Clubhouse. Uh, on occasion, I'm there uh, doing rooms and co-miding rooms. Um, I have a few reoccurring rooms throughout the week, but you can find me on there and Facebook as well. But I'm telling you, my biggest hangout is probably Instagram. My stories, mm -hmm. I stay Liddy in my story. So <laughs> Instagram lovers. Uh, and if you're loving this episode, please tag us. Let us know what you took from this. I know I took a lot from this. I know that those of you listening that have a business or want to start something could hear yourself in that story. So Miranda, again, thank you so, so much for being here, my love. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. You motivate me. Keep doing it. Hello, my darling. I've got good news for you. Happy end of financial year. So if you don't live in Australia, you probably don't know what the heck that is. In Australia, the end of the financial year is June 30. So they celebrate that as a thing. And I wanted to hook you up. So whether you live in Australia or not, we're doing a sisterhood end of financial year sale. What does that mean? That means you get $100 off if you want to join the sisterhood. There has never been a better time for you to do it. I don't be doing shit like this. I'm serious. I do not do deals or offers because I believe we really need to invest in our personal development. But I'm doing it right now. So if you have been wanting to work with me in the sisterhood, my coaching program for women who want to change their lives, if you want me to coach you and you want to be in the hood with all of the amazing like-minded queens, then head over to thequeenofconfidence.com forward slash sisterhood, sister with an A, or you could just click on sisterhood. You could head to my Instagram. It is everywhere. We are talking about it. We are excited. If you want to join, now is the time, my love. <laughs>